Welcome to all the listeners of Fertility and Sterility on Air. I'm Micah Hill. We are here for another episode of our new monthly edition where we dive into the seminal article of the month. This month's seminal article is chosen by FNS is titled Optimal Antimullerian Hormone Levels in Oocyte Donors, a National Database Analysis. And we're very fortunate to have both the primary and senior author on this call to tell us about their paper. Papri Sarkar is a second year fellow at the University of South Florida. Papri, thank you for joining us today and leading this project. Thank you, Micah, for having us. And Philip Romanski is a attending physician at RMA New York, and he is the assistant head of research for uh, U.S. fertility. Philip, thank you for uh, being the senior author on this paper and joining us today to give us some insight in it. Thank you. It's our honor to be here. We're excited to talk about our, our study. So let's dive right in. Papri, I think your, your study at its high level is trying to drill down on the issue of oocyte quality when we have more eggs. Is there a detriment in, in quality? Is that sort of what you're getting to? What was your hypothesis and, and why did you think this was an important study to do? So I'll start off with a brief background. We know in ART, AMH is uh, routinely used as a surrogate marker of ovarian reserve. And generally speaking, higher values are considered to be favorable. However, there's no set of cutoff value, which is considered to be too high. Or in simple words, we do not know about the prognostic implication of a high AMH value in relation to intrinsic properties of an oocyte or embryo development or how they affect the IVF clinical outcome. And this has been a subject of current debate. Some studies have suggested the possibility of decreased oocyte quality with greater number of oocytes retrieved. For example, there was a meta-analysis published in 2023 in FNS Review where they found a relation in autologous IVF cycles where patients had fresh transfer that in a cycle where more than 15 oocytes were retrieved, uh, there was a plateau in live birth rate and even found a decline once in a cycle, there were more than 20 to 25 oocytes retrieved. Another study was done, similar model. They evaluated the AMH value uh, with pregnancy outcome and found that once the AMH value is more than five, with each unit increase in patient serum AMH value, um, there was an association of 3% decrease in odds of live birth. But what's important to note is that these findings were in autologous population who had a fresh embryo transfer. Hence, the lower live birth rate was attributed to a increased can cycle cancellation or the detrimental effect of supraphysiological level of estradiol on the endometrial receptivity. However, we cannot rule out that there is a theoretical risk of detrimental effect of vigorous stimulation cycle on the oocyte quality and our inherent lower oocyte quality to start off among high responders. And the problem to answer this query with the concept of autologous cycle was that whatever changes were happening because of the intrinsic hormonal milieu, it was affecting the whole show. It was affecting the oocyte, the embryo, as well as the endometrium. And this is where the oocyte donor recipient model has a unique advantage. Here, the recipient endometrium remains unaffected by the hormonal roller coaster of a hyperresponsive ovary. Perfect setup to explore the relationship between high AMH, ovarian responsiveness, and how they influence the inherent reproductive potential of the oocytes and the embryos. 
Another reason we chose this model is because we know worldwide there is an increased demand of third-party reproduction. In 2019, um, SART reported that around 20,000 USAI donor recipient cycle transfers happened. And we all agree that the USAI donor banks do a really good job in screening and selecting the young, healthy female with good ovarian reserve. And AMH is one of those screening criteria. Hence, all the more reason to define a safe AMH level or to identify a biological threshold in USAI donor population as well, which can be used as a reference by the donor banks while selecting the USAI donor or can be used as a counseling tool for potential recipients during their USAI donor selection process. So based on this background, our goal for this study was to explore the association between high AMH uh, level and uh, ovarian responsiveness and how it affects the development of the embryo and ultimately the pregnancy outcome in the recipient population. Great. Thank you, Papri. That was a very good introduction for our listeners. So essentially, you were testing the null hypothesis that AMH levels are not intrinsically associated uh, with a decrease in, in oocyte quality. And Papri sort of went through there, Philip, for us why a donor model is sort of a good way to uh, go about this. Tell us a little bit about the methods and were there any challenges in designing the study? What were the key things you had to think through in trying to get this analysis right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so, you know, this national database that we were able to utilize had a lot of advantages um, for this particular study. Um, given its size, you know, that helped a lot with power and, and also um, the geographic reach, you know, improved the external validity. But this kind of national database, and particularly one that involves the use of donor eggs, is a bit more complex from a, from a study design standpoint. So we had to carefully consider all the potential scenarios that might occur from the time of donor egg retrieval to the use of the eggs and account for them in some way in our design. So perhaps you have donors who undergo retrieval and sometimes, you know, they might do that more than once. And then, you know, those eggs that are retrieved are, are split up into lots. We then have recipients who might choose to receive an egg lot or, or perhaps more than one lot. And then at some point, you know, recipients may go back and, and receive additional lots. So we had to really think through, you know, what are these different scenarios that might dictate these different branch points? Why does a donor undergo only one versus more than one retrieval? You know, maybe it's an egg quality issue. Uh, maybe they only wanted to donate once, uh, et cetera. Or why does a recipient match more than one egg lot? Again, maybe it's an egg quality issue, maybe there's a uterine factor component, maybe they simply just want additional embryos. And then, of course, once those eggs are received, they might be fertilized and synchronously transferred a few days later. They might culture embryos and, and freeze those with or without the use of PGT, transfer at a later date. And, and how does this decision impact whether the intended uh, parent potentially you know, has usable embryos to transfer for the purposes of the study? So. Ultimately, we chose to include recipients for their first egg lot to account for any potential confounders of why they might need to receive more than one lot. And then we use GEE modeling to account for donors that may have had more than one egg lot uh, that were received by intended parents. And we felt like this design allowed us to capture the adequate power of the data set while controlling for potential confounders in our study. Fantastic. So we've established we've got a, a you know a controversial topic here we're trying to drill down on, and we have a, a really unique and, and good model 
uh, and the seminal contribution. Uh, so Papri and Philip, what did you find? What were the main outcomes of the study? So in our study, we included 3,871 donor oocyte recipient cycles from 954 individual donors. The way we stratified our data was based on serum AMH level of the donor. Our study group included cycles where the donor serum level was more than or equal to 5 nanogram per ml, which consisted of 47% um, of our study population. And donor cycles where the AMH level was less than 5 were considered to be the referent group. As predicted, the high AMH group had higher number of oocytes retrieved and mature oocytes cryopreserved. Then we looked at the recipient transfer cycle outcomes. The median number of oocytes per donor lot that was received and normally fertilized were comparable between the two groups. However, it was interesting to note that the median number of usable embryos per lot was higher in the high AMH group as compared to the referent group. There were no significant differences in pregnancy outcomes of interest. Our primary outcome was ongoing pregnancy rate. Uh, we also looked at other outcomes such as miscarriage, biochemical pregnancy, and clinical pregnancy rate, and no difference noted between the two groups. We also looked at a smaller subset of our study population, which was approximately 15% of our total study population, where the patients decided to proceed with pre-implantation genetic testing for aneuploidy using the donor oocytes. And there was no difference in the embryo euploidy rate and ongoing pregnancy rate when those euploid embryos were transferred, hence kind of giving us an overview of correlation with oocyte quality and aneuploidy in the donor oocyte population. Yeah, and I'd like to also, you know, just briefly comment on our secondary analysis. As Papri mentioned, we dichotomized AMH at a level of five. And in the secondary analysis, we assessed AMH as a continuous variable. In the manuscript, we describe, you know, how and why we chose that level of five. It's really based on population nomograms that show this to be around the 90th percentile for AMH. So when trying to evaluate outcomes among patients on the upper end, that's a reasonable threshold and it's been used in prior studies as well. But we do recognize the inherent issues with dichotomizing a continuous variable, notably being the loss of power. Um, but in addition, it treats a patient with an AMH level of you know, 4.9, for example, different than a patient with an AMH level of 5.1 when in reality, this level of exposure is essentially the same. And so thus, we, we decided to additionally perform an analysis to assess AMH as a continuous variable to further describe the relationship between the AMH level and embryo development and the resulting pregnancy outcomes. And similarly, we observed that as AMH level increased, the number of usable embryos significantly increased, though marginally so, with a 1% increase per one unit increase in AMH level. And then again, similar to the primary analysis, as AMH increased, we observed comparable pregnancy outcomes per embryo transfer. So we think this secondary analysis also just helps to contribute to our understanding of how this exposure may be associated with the outcomes of the study. Philip predicted, and not surprisingly, my next question, which was going to be, why did you dichotomize at five and how did you do that, account for that in your subgroup uh, or sensitivity analysis? And I think the way you thought through that is very helpful. And there, this paper had a lot of strengths, which is why it's a seminal contribution. But I think the fact that your methods were so clear and that you did these sensitivity models so that it can be replicated, 
so that people can see that the type of model or the dichotomizing probably didn't affect the results. Uh, they seem pretty consistent throughout. The other thing I really liked about this paper, so if you're a fellow in, in reading it, is they define their study definitions, uh, each by a separate bullet point. And so it just makes it very clear how they did the study and how you could replicate it. And that really, replication is key to any scientific research. So I appreciated the rigor and how you guys approach that. So overall, you didn't really find that AMH was associated with any detriment. If anything, there was maybe a minor benefit uh, with the association. Clinically, what's the take-home point for our, our people doing IVF, our IVF patients? What's the important take-home point from this paper? So I think the take-home point from the results of our study will be for recipient counseling or choosing a donor site where they can be reassured that the donor image value really doesn't matter in terms of having any adverse outcome associated with a higher image level. Plus, from the egg bank point of view, oocyte donors with high AMH level may even be preferential to an egg bank, given the overall increased total number of mature oocytes and the usable embryos that were predicted to yield with no apparent decline in the reproductive potential of the resulting embryos, which we found by our transfer outcome results and the embryo euploidy rate as well. Another point I would like to touch upon is that based on the studies, it is probably reassuring to say that perhaps the plateau or the negative impact seen in autologous cycles with higher AMH level was due to the negative impact on the endometrium. However, one has to be really cautious in extrapolating this data to the autologous patient population where there might have been different underlying etiology for infertility, such as polycystic ovarian syndrome or other gynecological conditions, which of course will be of interest for future studies. So, Philip, I think it's always easy to say, you know, the next steps is is to do more research or we need this study or that study. Do you think this question is kind of answered? Do we need more studies? And if we do specifically, what would those studies look like so we could feel reassured that at least in this population, the, the donor egg population, the vigor of the stimulation or or the number of eggs, the AMH that uh, the donor starts with, maybe don't negatively impact the outcomes for the recipients? I think in the donor egg population, this database, this study really helped us to answer this particular question. I'm not sure that there's anything additional that that necessarily would, would need to be added. I think the question that this was sort of dancing around in a way, at least in our initial thought for the study and, and design for the study is, you know, how are these AMH levels associated in the autologous cycles, as, as, um, as Papri mentioned. This is something that we would like to continue to look into further in, in future studies where we can still better separate or isolate, you know, the impact of the ovarian stimulation from the impact of the embryo transfer cycle to better understand, you know, how some of these different infertility diagnoses, how some of these different pathologies may be associated with ovarian reserve, but may also have an impact on the egg quality and ultimately success of the infertility treatment. Fantastic. Papri, Philip, thank you both for doing this fantastic paper and publishing it in Fertility and Sterility and for joining us today uh, to discuss this seminal contribution. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, to all of our listeners out there, if you missed this month's FNS on air, we did talk about this article as well on that podcast. So listen to that, dive into detail. If you're listening to our podcast, whatever platform you're listening to, please hit the like button, give us a review, and be sure to follow us every month. 
Papri Philip, thank you. Thank you. This concludes our episode of Fertility and Sterility on Air, brought to you by Fertility and Sterility in conjunction with the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. This podcast is produced by Dr. Molly Cornfield and Dr. Adriana Wong. This podcast was developed by Fertility and Sterility and the American Society for Reproductive Medicine as an educational resource and service to its members and other practicing clinicians. While the podcast reflects the views of the authors and the hosts, it is not intended to be the only approved standard of practice or to direct an exclusive course of treatment. The opinions expressed are those of the discussants and do not reflect fertility and sterility or the American Society for Reproductive Medicine.